Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Roll another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Wednesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio. Peter King and Chris Sims joining me an hour from now as we continue to react to Super Bowl 54. Peter King had an excellent edition of Football Morning in America the day after the game, the morning after the game. We'll delve into some of the lingering nooks and crannies Coming out of Super Bowl 54, look back a bit, spin it forward a bit. Plenty of other things to discuss as well. A robust offseason coming. For example, today's the day that the Raiders find themselves vesting a couple million more in salary for Derek Carr. I don't expect them to cut him today. But it's just one of those markers as we get closer and closer to Bedlam in March. And it won't be an all-hell-breaks-loose kind of a thing. It's just going to be significant development after significant development after significant development as this musical chairs game involving quarterbacks plays out. Will there be enough seats for the quarterbacks? Will there be enough quarterbacks for the seats? See, I don't know how this game of musical chairs goes. Usually... There's too many butts for seats. There could be too many seats for butts, and there could be teams that have an even greater sense of urgency going into the draft to find a quarterback. And then after the draft, if they don't get the quarterback, what do they do? But today is an important day also in Kansas City, Missouri, because they're having a parade today. Last I saw, the forecast was for snow, which will make it better. Snow makes everything better although it's a pain in the butt to travel and it could get cold and nasty it's going to look good on tv for all of us who are watching from the comfort of our homes or our offices hey that looks pretty good it's snowing 
12.30 p.m. Eastern is when the parade begins. Now, look, after the parade ends, at some point the celebration ends. Like, how long do you allow yourself to bask in the glow? Remember Bill Belichick a couple of years ago with his no days off chant? You get right back at it. Stay in shape, get in better shape, work on the weaknesses of your game. Try to get better. If you ain't getting better, you're getting worse. Don't get complacent. Coach Andy Reid has been asked about his players handling the offseason as NFL champions for the first time for the Chiefs in 50 years. Here's what he said. They're going to have a lot of opportunities in a short way, but understand what feeds the family. And, uh, and that's this job here. So um, enjoy that, the other part of being a champion. But on the other hand, you better get yourself right. Uh, to play this game and there's a fine line right there you know uh, of doing it the right way and and doing it halfway so don't neglect the the part that is the most important part of your profession and it's a great point it's easy to say it's not easy to do bill belichick has mastered the art of getting his guys to forget what they just did good bad or otherwise Heartbreaking loss in the Super Bowl to the Eagles, come back and win it all the next year. Win a Super Bowl, come back and win it the next year. Lose in the AFC Championship game, go back to the Super Bowl the next year. They're unfazed by success or failure. We saw the Chiefs come back from a pretty significant failure in 2018, losing at home in the AFC Championship game, and they won the Super Bowl. But once you get to the top of the mountain, How difficult is it to go back to the bottom, the valley of zero and zero, as Dennis Green used to call it, and climb again? Same mountain, same mountain. Although it really is different because the second one helps expand a legacy, justifies application of the term dynasty. I've seen people throwing around the D word. They've won one. They're no more of a dynasty than any other team that won a Super Bowl. The Buccaneers in 2002, what happened with them? The 85 Bears, what happened with them? You can't declare yourself a multi-time champion until you win, wait, let me think, multiple championships. Andy Reid's looking forward to the parade. Here's what he said about that. I can't wait till tomorrow. I know it's going to be cold and all that, but, you know, your juices are going. Everybody in the city, I mean, you got talking over a million people. I mean... Schools are closed. Businesses are closed. Let's go, man. Let's enjoy it. It took us 50 years to get here. Let's go. Let's go, man. Have a good time. Keep the city intact. <laughs> let's not ruin what we got. Uh, but let's enjoy the heck out of it. Schools have been closed so students and, ta- and staff can attend. At Children's Mercy Hospital, the emergency room will be open, but appointments and some surgeries are being rescheduled or moved. Five years ago, the Royals won the World Series. 800,000 people, estimated, showed up at the parade. What do we think it's going to be? It's going to be more than 800,000. They're going to be coming from Kansas City, Kansas for this one, baby. And beyond. The parade route is going to have, and this is an important thing, because you don't want any yellow snow. Or brown brown snow. Yeah, it, it... Please enjoy your breakfast.
The parade route will be lined with 700 portable toilets. For the Royals Parade, there were only 200. So they're expecting... Look, if that, if that is any indication whatsoever, if, if that's our extrapolation, if that's our formula... All right, let me try this. I got to work on my gazintas here. If you have 200 for 800,000, then 700 means they're expecting... 2.8 million? Yeesh. It wouldn't be that many. I don't know that 200 portable toilets is enough for 800,000 people. Let me tell you, quick story. Quick story. I ran the New York City Marathon in 1998. They take everybody to Staten Island in this giant field, 30,000 people. And they have two ways that you can relieve yourself other than go find a tree or a bush. They have this long outdoor open air trough. There's no way. There's no way. I wasn't doing that in the open with a bunch of people around. And then they got the porta potties. And it didn't take long for those things to become absolutely disgusting. So, my approach for the parade, I know. I know what it would be. It'd be hold it in. Hold it until you get home. All right, another. Uh, not nearly as important. Well, depending upon the urgency you're feeling, that's how important the topic is. Maybe important, maybe not important. I wrote last night, and this is a point that we addressed yesterday, the Chiefs need to pay Patrick Mahomes, but it occurred to me last night, here's the problem. The problem is Patrick Mahomes is only due to make $2.7 million this year. And if you extend his contract now, you create a potential mess when it comes to the whole new money analysis, total value at signing. And, and let me just give you the example. I crunched the numbers last night. If you give Patrick Mahomes a five-year extension worth $40 million a year, five years, $200 million, that makes him the highest paid quarterback in football at $40 million a year. Highest paid player, NFL history. He has reached the $40 million threshold. But to do that, to get five years, $200 million, on top of what he's currently making, it's a seven-year deal with a total value of $226.7 million. Estimated. I'm assuming that his salary for 2021 would be $24 million under the fifth-year option and the way they calculate it for quarterbacks taken in the top 10. So, five years, $200 million, $40 million a year. Seven years, $226.7 million. That's an average of signing of $32.38 million a year. That's how a $40 million a year guy really isn't a $40 million a year guy. And to do it, you're tied up for seven years. The market may pass you by by the time you get to that point. Now, other side of the coin, if Mahone says, hey, you're going to make me a $40 million a year man, I want to be a $40 million a year man. I want a seven-year deal. If you want me tied up for seven years, I want a seven-year deal, $40 million a year. I want 280. That's a $40 million a year deal. If he was a free agent right now, if his contract had expired right now and he signed for $40 million a year, that's how it would work. Here's a problem. If you do that, as the Chiefs, 
The new money average, given that it's 24 million in 2021 and 2.7 million this year, the new money average is 50.6 million. And that's how it would get discussed. That's how it would get reported by the NFLPA. That's how it would get hyped by his agent, Lee Steinberg. Because 40 million isn't nearly impressive as 50.66. That's the conundrum for the Chiefs. You know, you're going to have a lot of people talking about this issue in the coming days, weeks, and months. And I, this is going to sound horribly immodest. This isn't all that difficult of a concept. No one else talks about it this way. And one of the reasons other reporters don't talk about it this way, agents don't like it when you talk about it this way. So they don't want to anger the potential sources for their information by delving too deeply into this dichotomy between new money and total value at signing. But that's the problem. That's why Dak Prescott doesn't have a contract. It's one of the reasons. Because he only was making $2 million last year and doing an extension. Yeah. And here's the thing. I've said this before. Let me just point this out. The contract is never extended. It's never extended. They treat it that way. They treat the money that's on the books and the money that is in the new years as separate. It's not. They rip up the contract and replace it with a new one. That's what they do. That's one of the challenges here. A couple of other quick Chiefs points before we break. They announced their MVP yesterday. Team MVP, Patrick Mahomes, right? Nope, Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew. And a couple of reasons why. Number one, he made a hell of an impact on that defense, and he's a great natural leader. But number two... They cast the ballots at the same time they vote on the Pro Bowl. So it's happening in December before you ever get to the postseason and see the magic that Patrick Mahomes worked there. Heck, it may have even happened before that 23-3 snow globe game against the Broncos when we first really started to say, hey, the Chiefs may have something going on here. Wisely, the Chiefs hold it until the end of the season. The Steelers created that well look i maybe the antonio brown thing was going to blow up anyway but the catalyst was juju smith schuster being announced as the team mvp in 2018 with one week left and ab blew a gasket there's no reason to announce that information while you're still playing games no reason whatsoever matt moore getting some attention and credit for what he did while patrick mahomes was injured and he should he kind of helped hold it together that was a win over the Vikings that all other things equal you lose that game you don't have a bye and who knows what happens and one last point and this popped up last night Curtis Crabtree of PFT also KJR wrote it during his overnight shift duties Sammy Watkins who had that 38 yard catch and run that helped set up the go-ahead touchdown he credited Devontae Adams not that they got together and worked on technique, compared notes, Watkins saw in the NFC Championship game. When the game was essentially decided, he saw Adams use inside release. That means cutting on the inside of Richard Sherman instead of trying to run around him on the outside, blasting by him on the inside. Sherman got torched. So Watkins was able to beat Sherman to the inside off the line of scrimmage curl around and make the catch said Watkins via Rob Demofsky of ESPN.com I just knew it was one-on-one coverage I thanked Devontae Adams because I saw him kill Sherman with inside release and there's going to be questions about Sherman's performance 
in the postseason. Look, he's got limitations. And if you don't have great safeties behind him, it's harder to cover them up. The Legion of Boom worked because it was a legion. It wasn't one guy on an island. When you got Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas back there, you don't have to worry as much about getting beaten deep. And Sherman will be a year older, as we all will be. We'll see how it goes for him in 2020. Let me just say one thing. I don't think I've ever said this on the show, but it's true. Remember when the 49ers signed Jason Verrett? Now, look, the year turned out better for Richard Sherman than the 49ers thought it would. Second team, all pro, pro bowl. If Jason Verrett had worked out, if Jason Verrett had been healthy, if Jason Verrett had been the guy that they thought they were getting when they signed him, Richard Sherman may not have been on the 49ers this year. I've heard that from multiple people. That if Verrett works out, Sherman is out. It just shows you how quickly things can change for an NFL team. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, it's part of the process of always striving to get better. And we're going to talk about that concept a little bit more coming up later in the hour. For now, hey, the odds are out for 2020 NFL MVP. It's never too early to take a gander at who may be favored or not to be regarded as the most valuable player in the NFL the time the next season rolls around. We'll talk about that next here on PFT Live. Westgate Sportsbook has published the odds for 2020 NFL MVP. It's not too early to start thinking about that. It's going to be here before you know it. We're going to start counting down the days. Wishing our lives away for football to be back. Isn't it funny? When the Super Bowl arrives, some people are like, oh, football is going to be over. Like, yeah, that always happens when the Super Bowl arrives. Like, you can't have the Super Bowl without the season ending on the back end of it. That's how it works. This isn't NASCAR where they start with the Super Bowl. This is how it works. Deal with it. Life goes on. Other stuff is happening. If you're a sports fan, there's plenty of other things to watch. None are as compelling as football, but you will live. Catch up on movies and TV shows. Spend time with your family. Walk your dog. Work out. Read a book or two or three. Life isn't about watching football and nothing else. Anyway, it's never too early to think about next season. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is installed as the favorite to be the NFL MVP at 4-1. to one. And you know what? If he hadn't gotten injured this year, if he hadn't injured his ankle week one and hadn't dislocated the kneecap on that Thursday night in Denver, maybe he wins it. I don't know. Lamar Jackson would have been tough to beat, though. He's 6-1 to one to be the two-time consecutive MVP. Russell Wilson, 10-1. to one. Deshaun Watson, 12 to 1. Then comes Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz, both at 16 to 1. Followed by Drew Brees at 20 to 1. First, he's got to decide to play. And I would put him far lower because if he plays, he ain't playing full time, folks. That's a sucker bet. Those odds should be a lot longer. Aaron Rodgers, 20 to 1. He's going to be upset about that. Kyler Murray, 20 to 1. And then two running backs make their appearance at 30 to 1, Christian McCaffrey and Ezekiel Elliott. Some others that are intriguing. 
Hashtag Tommy. 30 to 1. When's the last time that he was 30 to 1 to be the MVP? Jimmy Garoppolo, 40 to 1. I'm going to talk about him coming up in about 20 minutes. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, 80 to 1. He doesn't even have a team yet. I remember last year when Mitch Trubisky was like high or low. I never get that right. The long shot. He was a long shot. He got bet down to like 50 to 1 from 250 to 1. Kirk Cousins, 40 to 1, just like Jimmy G. Hey, who knows? Maybe Kirk Cousins will be replacing Jimmy G. Shut up about that, you idiot. Don't you dare talk about the possibility of the 49 keeping Jimmy Garoppolo. He's Joe Montana. No, he's not. Joe Burrow, 100 to 1. Joe Burrow, 100. Well, you know, they assume he's going to play for the Bengals. That's why his odds are where they are. If he's going to play for another team, you know, maybe the odds will 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 plummet and it'll be a a uh, a much more sensible proposition. Michael Thomas, 200 to 1. Hey, look, no receivers ever won it. And here's the thing. And Thomas would have a chance. Because, look, if they're going to split time between Breeze and Taysom Hill, Thomas could rack up enough numbers to overcome the notion that if the receiver has a spectacular year, the quarterback had one, too, and the quarterback's going to win the award. We're going to take a break. When we return, a new study from Cal Berkeley may have Washington coach Ron Rivera no longer making any donations to the school. We'll discuss that next. Thirty-four minutes after the hour on this Wednesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. I usually pick this segment, as some of you may have noticed, for a monologue that really isn't planned out. It's kind of extemporary. It is extemporaneous, not kind of. Speaking off the top of my head, speaking from the heart on issues that, for whatever reason, bother me. Or require something more detailed and substantive I don't have a hard break to worry about something that really I feel strongly about in some way that otherwise isn't going to fit into the show especially once we get over onto the TV side and we have a a back and forth and you've got to make a point and lay out and then the other guy makes a point and lays out it, it's hard to really delve into it the way I want to and here's what I want to talk about And this issue first really hit my radar screen seven years ago. The Washington team nickname. 2013 was the first time that I can remember a serious push to pressure the league and to pressure the Washington franchise to change the name. Because it's now accepted that the name is a dictionary-defined slur. That's accepted. It's not accepted by fans of the team who compartmentalize the slur and the name of the team. And they get mad. They get hostile. They don't like it. And I understand that that's your team. In your mind, it doesn't have any type of problematic meaning. In your mind, it's not offensive to anyone. And what happens is anytime there's any traction for the idea that Native Americans are genuinely offended by it. Not all, but some. Anytime there's any traction to that notion, 
they get very upset, very upset, and they start looking for other ways to attack the issue. Political correctness run amok is one of the easy, low-hanging pieces of fruit. Another strategy, another technique is to, to start launching into this parade of horribles about what other team names will change if we're going to be sensitive to who may be offended by it. And it usually results in, well, we can't call the Giants the Giants anymore because that may be offensive to large people. We can't call the Saints the Saints anymore because that may make sinners feel bad. Here's the bottom line. There's one team name in the NFL out of 32 that is a dictionary-defined slur that does offend some Native Americans. How many does it take for it to be too many? Reasonably, plausibly offended Native Americans. Who are you to say what should offend Native Americans? Well, it's a dictionary-defined slur. I'm not offended by many of the slurs that I hear from time to time regarding Italians. But that doesn't make them not offensive. That doesn't make them not slurs. And I'm saying all of this because what happened back in 2016, the Washington Post had a poll that that seemed to put the issue to bed because 90% of self-identifying Native Americans weren't offended by the term. And look, 2016 culminated in a fairly dramatic political shift. And it's kind of like the least of our issues moving forward, some people would say, is worrying about the Washington team name. And that's when, after the changing of administrations, I think the, the issue of political correctness running amok took on greater weight. And it just kind of all subsided. And one of the problems is this, quite frankly. Those who are trying to get the name changed have never had, in my view, a sustained and successful PR campaign. It's too scattered, it's too sporadic, and it's ultimately too ineffective. But, but, thanks to the Change the Mascot campaign, I am aware of a new study from the University of Cal Berkeley where Washington coach Ron Rivera went to college. New study that explains that the extent to which a Native American is offended by the term is tied to how intensely that person identifies himself or herself as Native American. A thousand Native Americans surveyed. 57% of those who strongly identify with being Native American and 67% of those who frequently engage in tribal cultural practices are, quote, deeply insulted by caricatures of Native American culture. Deeply insulted. So, what does any of this mean? What kind of action will any of this spark? Who knows? Who knows? The fact that I'm even reluctant to write about it and talk about it because I, I know the pushback is going to be inevitable. I know. 
that people are going to try to shout me down. People get upset that I don't use the term. Why does it upset you that I don't use the term? Is it offensive to you that I won't use a term that others use offensive? I don't get it. There are ways to identify the franchise without saying the word. And it was hard at first. It was hard. And every once in a while, like once a year, it pops out. Because everybody else is saying it. Everybody else is saying it in the media. And that's fine. That's your business. Look, I don't tell my writers not to use it. If they choose not to, that's fine. I don't use it out of respect for those Native Americans who are offended. And I think that's the one thing we can acknowledge at this point. Whatever the number between zero and 100, there is a percentage of Native Americans who are genuinely offended by the term. So I'm not using it. And I'm not going to judge somebody else who does because it's hard to not use it. It's the name of an NFL team for crying out loud. But I decided sometime between 2013 and 2015, I'm just not using it. And initially it was, I'm going to try not to use it because I didn't know that I'd be successful because it's the name of an NFL team. Four years ago, we were in... San Francisco for the Super Bowl. Stats and I were out there, and a Native American gentleman came up to us with tears in his eyes and thanked us for not using the term. At that moment, not that I had any doubt, not that I was engaged in some sort of dilemma, some sort of crisis of conscience as to whether or not I was just going to give in, enhance access to Washington players, coaches, and executives. Because let me tell you, I don't think we've had many if any now we had josh norman part of the problem is frankly uh there aren't many players over the past seven years i really wanted to talk to we've had some we've had some we haven't encountered a whole lot of difficulty when we try to get players try to get them through the team different story get the players separately they don't care they're not going to get hung up on the fact that i don't use the term but coach nope i love ron rivera and I was a little disappointed during his introductory press conference that no one asked him about the term. He may get asked about it now. He may get asked about it at the Combine if the media remembers in three weeks from yesterday this study. If this study gets some legs, if this study gets some play, I haven't seen it anywhere else yet. I think it's just one of those that... it. For a lot of people in the media, it's like, eh, why, why do we want to poke the bear? Why do we want to fight that battle? That's not our battle. Well, I don't know. I, I and it's not, and, and it's funny. The, 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 the issues that I talk about from time to time that, that people disagree with vehemently, they act like that's all I talk about. I haven't talked about this in years, in years. I just haven't used the term. And I only write about it when there's a survey or a development. It's not like I do a periodic reminder like I do with Joe Delaney every year when the anniversary of his death arrives and we had a little extra Joe Delaney pop on Sunday just because he was a chief and his team was in the Super Bowl and it was another occasion to remind people of the sacrifice he made trying to save three drowning children back on on June, excuse me, 28 of 1983. When there's a development, I talk about it. And where there's reason to talk about it, I share my views. And one of these days, one of these days, and I hope I live to see it just because I want to live as long as I possibly can. At some point, 
the name will change. At some point, it will. It will be owned by someone who realizes this can't be done. This can't continue. And here's what's going to happen once it changes. Here's what history is going to eventually do. History is going to look back on this time and say, what the hell was wrong with those people? What was wrong with those people that they used a blatantly racist slur to identify one of 32 NFL franchises, the biggest sport in the country? In the year 2020, that was still the name of the team. What was wrong with those people? I believe from day one that if you believe the name should be changed, you're on the right side of history. And if there's two sides to history, I'll take the right side. I'll take the right thing. I'll take that thing that ultimately ensures I won't be offending some percentage between 1 and 99 of Native Americans who do not appreciate that term, who find that term to be exactly what the dictionary defines it to be, a slur. We'll be back with more PFT Library after this. You know, I understand how football fans can be very zealous and protective of their team. You can't say anything bad about our guys. Only we can think bad things about our guys, worry about our guys. We're never going to say it. It wouldn't be loyal to the team to say it. That dynamic's playing out with Jimmy Garoppolo as the 49ers quarterback. Look, I'm a firm believer that every NFL team has an obligation in every offseason and really throughout the given season to be thinking, do we have the best configuration of players on the field at any given time? Is there someone better than the guy who's on the field? Is there someone better who's available to us through free agency, through trades, through whatever, from the practice squad? Do we have the best collection of talent that we possibly can have? And is there a way to reasonably, plausibly, and affordably make it better? You have to constantly be doing that. Constantly. I visited a team facility at one point, and I saw the big board with the depth chart by position and with lists up on the board of the names of all of the guys who play the various positions whom they would contact or try to acquire if there was an injury to one of their key players at those various positions. And it gives you a sense of just how replaceable everyone is. I used to say that kickers and punters and long snappers and holders were the most fungible players in football, and they are. But everyone is. And they're all going to be replaced at some point. The question is, do they walk away on their own? Do they stop playing because of injury? Or do they get traded or cut? And there are no sacred cows. You earn that distinction by doing what? By doing what? How do you become a sacred cow in the NFL? How do you become irreplaceable? By winning championships. Patrick Mahomes is untouchable. He would have been anyway. He was good enough. But we knew he was good enough to win a championship, and he did. I'm saying all of that because... And you know, it's funny, the pushback. I got into it with Pete Prisco from CBS yesterday. And I, I just was in one of those moods where I'm going to keep responding to the guy. Because in, in his mind, 
on a topic that can fairly be debated, that falls within the gulf of reasonable minds may differ. His attitude is if you don't believe with, in, with me, if you don't agree with me, excuse me, if you don't agree with me, you don't know anything about football, which is just a stupid, narrow-minded position to take, all due respect. On some things, there can be no debate. I very rarely play that card. I played that card with Lamar Jackson as the MVP. Anybody who didn't vote for him for MVP should have had their vote stripped. And you know what? All 50 of them did. Not that they listened to me, but they all have enough sense to recognize he was the MVP. That's not debatable based upon what we saw last year. What is debatable is whether or not the 49ers can do better at quarterback. That's very debatable. And... Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch aren't doing their jobs if they don't at least consider what options they have. Parag Marate, the contract negotiator for the 49ers, has done his job by putting in place the same structure for Garoppolo that every other veteran contract that the 49ers have done in recent years exhibits. And that's this. The ability until April 1 to move on from the player without incurring any additional guaranteed payments. $23.8 million salary for Jimmy Garoppolo is non-guaranteed for 2020. And it becomes partially guaranteed on April 1, 15.7 million. And that's enough that they're not going to let that guarantee vest and owe him 15.7 million just so they can make the decision later to move on from him. Although I will say this, you could trade him later. You could do something later because of offset language and get most, if not all, of that back if he lands somewhere else, and he would land somewhere else. I think someone would pay him $15.7 million. question is, will there be seats open? Will you pay him that much to be a backup? Maybe not. My point's this, though. They have until April 1. They don't need to extend it past April 1. They build into the contract. And see, most teams put that trigger in there right after the start of the league year. They don't have a lot of time. You've got to make a decision or get off the pot, if you know what I mean. The 49ers have an eternity relative to other teams to come to a conclusion about Jimmy Garoppolo. They can see who's available in free agency. They can see who's available via trade. They can wait and see if someone gets cut from another team if he can't be traded. There's a lot of things they can do. And they owe it to the organization to do it. Why? Why? It all boils down to third and 10 with 100 seconds left in the NFL's 100th season from the Kansas City 49. Emmanuel Sanders runs past two defenders and is open. Championship throw. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't make it. And I had people say, well, you can't judge a guy's career on one throw. Well, yeah, you can. You can't. It's the ultimate litmus test. You either deliver in the biggest spot of the season or you don't. Garoppolo didn't. Maybe other guys will. It's not a nice try moment. It's not a that's okay moment. It's a you're a championship quarterback or you're not moment. And he may never get another opportunity like that. Look, they may win Super Bowls without him ever having to make a championship throw. That was a clear, defined opportunity to win a Super Bowl. Now, look, there would have been about a minute and 30 seconds left, and who knows what the Chiefs would have done with the ball. But down four, 
49-yard line, third and 10. Emmanuel Sanders wide open, and you missed him. There are guys who can make that throw. Oh, Jimmy Garoppolo can make that throw. No, he can't because he had a chance and he didn't. I mean, you can make all sorts of throws in all sorts of different circumstances, but you don't have many opportunities in the course of your lifetime to make that throw in that spot. It's pass-fail. It's that simple. You either do it or you don't, and he didn't. And for that reason, the 49ers owe it to themselves, the organization, ownership, the fans, everyone, to ask themselves this offseason, is there a better option out there? More PFT Live right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.